North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hope you guys are doing good today. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, if you're new here, the Bible's a really big deal to us. Uh, we love the Bible. We love God's Word. We Every week we open it up and see what God has to speak to us through His Word. So, so we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 6 in just a few moments. That's where uh, the, the message will take us. I, I recently saw on America's Funniest Videos uh, a clip of a mom reading a scary story to her son. And then at the end of the, the scary story, she yells, and, and her boy's reaction is just hilarious. Some of you have probably seen that video. For those who haven't, I, I have it here. I want you to go ahead and watch this. The woman to the preacher said, shall I look like that when I'm dead? Ooh, the preacher looked at the woman and said, you'll look like that when you are dead. Ah! <laughs> Do you not like these? Should I maybe not read anymore? Do it. That's perfect, right? I mean, so perfect. She did it great. She had that soft voice. She was, she was speaking in the soft, creepy voice. And then she had the ooh, the howl, and, and then the yell at the end. Oh, man, it was just, it was well done. Well done. It's so funny. But the funniest part of that, I don't know if you caught that at the end, that conversation that they had at the end, where she said, maybe should we stop reading this? Do you want me to stop reading this story? And he said, do it. Like, keep reading. I want to be scared. We like fear as long as there's nothing to be afraid of, don't we? We like fear as long as there's nothing really to be afraid of. Scary movies make a lot of money because we like to be scared just as long as we know that we're safe. Creepy costumes, haunted houses. We like fear as long as we know really there's nothing to be afraid of. There's a haunted house that snaps pictures during one of their scare moments. And, and I've seen a bunch of these and they're hilarious. I have a couple of examples of people getting scared at a haunted house here. You see that? They're just, in that moment, they're freaking out and holding hands, and, and I love it. Go ahead, go ahead and go to the next one. Um, now, I, lo- I love this one because, like, the man of the house, the dad is leading the way, and he's, you know, I lo- it's just perfect. Go to the next one. We got a few of these. Again, just being scared. Next. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of guy you want protecting you, isn't it, right there? Let's go to the next one. Yeah, perfect, next, we got a couple of these, yeah, next one. Okay, this one, I love this one because let's just assume they're married and the husband is completely freaking out, but he's swallowing it down, isn't he? Like he's, a, he's like a good man, like, let's just get going. And then this next one's my favorite, my absolute favorite here. Uh, <laughs> Those two ladies, that's, and the dad just smiling there. That's so great. That's so great. We like fear. It's thrilling. It's fun. It's funny. We laugh at it as long as there's nothing really to be afraid of, right? We like it. We know that as parents, I've said this a lot of times, I believe it. It's, it's one of our divine rights as parents to be able to scare our children, right? Right? Um, 
But it doesn't always start that way. It doesn't start that way. When you have your first child, like you're going to do everything you can do. You can do you're going to do everything you can think of to protect them and keep them safe and not let anything bad happen to them or or never make them cry. And so when you have your first child and you go to Walmart or Menards and it's Halloween season and you see that the scary costumes and things are out, like you'll you'll steer away from that aisle, right? With the first one with the first child, and you'll cover little Johnny's eyes and say, no, 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 Johnny, don't look over there. Don't look over there. That's scary stuff. We don't want you to see that. And then you'll be really, like, careful to make sure that they don't see any of that stuff. But when child two and three come along, like, it's, it's different, isn't it? You start scheming and making plans with your spouse, and you say, honey, I'm going to go over to the Halloween aisle, and I'm going to put the werewolf mask on. The one with the rat hanging out of its mouth that's dripping blood, that one. And you wheel the cart around, and then I'm going to jump out. Get your camera out to video this. This is going to be great. And you know what your wife says? She says, no, don't do that. All the while reaching into her pocket and pulling her phone out. (laughs) And she has to tell you not to do that because someday when your children are in therapy, she has to be able to tell them, I told them not to do it. I told him not to do it. As long as there's nothing to be afraid of, we like fear. Just as long as we're safe. As long as we're safe. In 1920, a psychologist by the name of John B. Watson conducted a study that has been named the Little Albert Experiment. In this experiment, he took a nine-month-old child, Little Albert, and he gave him, uh, uh, presented him with a lot of items that were fluffy and soft, okay? Uh, A little monkey came around, and he was playing with a monkey, a dog, a rabbit, and and a little white rat. And he loved the rat. The rat was his favorite. Just these little soft, furry things. And and little Albert reacted as you would expect a nine-month-old to react with this kind of stuff. It was kind of cautious curiosity and smiles and, and some giggles. There was no fear response whatsoever. However, the goal of this experiment was to see if they could condition a fear response in him with these fluffy objects that he was not originally afraid of. And so the next time they presented a rat, or that little white rat, that he was not afraid of, what they did is they had a big metal bar hanging, and I don't have a bar, I just have a pan. They had a big metal bar hanging right behind little Albert and a hammer. And I I hear somebody giggling over here. Was that you, Brad? Somebody giggling over there like, I know what's going on. Are you going to get him good? And so they had this, this, uh, this bar and this hammer, and they presented him with the little white rat again. And um, every time he would reach for the rat, they would hit the, hit the bar and scare him. And so at first he didn't cry. He just kind of freaked out a little bit. Then when he reached for it again, they hit it again. And again, and they hit it again. And every time he would reach for the, the white rat, they would hit that bar and scare him, eventually little Albert is just bawling and freaking out and scared to death. And so then they took the white, the white rat away and they presented the rabbit and they hit the with the rabbit a couple times and, and they conditioned this fear response in him that wasn't there originally. They, they tried to make him afraid of things and so eventually when they, they stopped hitting the bar but they presented him with fluffy things, he was just terrified of all things fluffy. Well done, Dr. Watson. You know? And this groundbreaking study 
which would be considered entirely unethical by today's standards for obvious reasons, proved that you could create fear in someone where no fear originally existed. Watson, who kind of seems like a huge jerk, may get credit for this groundbreaking discovery, but the reality is Satan has been banging metal pipes for thousands of years, hasn't he? He has. He's been perfecting the art of fear. He deals in the currency of fear. Fear is his native language. That is what he does. He sows fear in every way, shape, or form that he can. Think of the culture that we live in today. Think of the culture we live in today, you know, and we are relatively safe. I mean, we're, we're still in America, right? We're relatively safe. I mean, you are free to come in here and serve and worship Jesus with no threat of persecution. The reality is that the New Testament was written to a church that was experiencing persecution, political and, and physical persecution, like they were, they were being uh, beaten, they were being thrown in jail, they were being killed because of their beliefs. And, and so we, we have it pretty well here in America today. But, but you think about it, as you look around in the culture that we live in, the, the enemy is sowing fear everywhere. There's thousands of things to be afraid of today. Thousands of things to be afraid of, even though we live in a, in a pretty safe country. And he's banging the metal over and over and over again, trying to condition and sow fear in a people where it didn't originally exist. And so everywhere we look, there's a reason to be afraid. We can't get away from it. Shooters, be afraid. Terrorists, be afraid. ISIS, be afraid. North Korea, be afraid. Russia, be afraid, right? We have reason to be afraid. Everywhere you look, there's a reason to be afraid. And things have changed a little bit lately. Republicans, be afraid of them. Democrats, be afraid. Right? All of them, be afraid. There's white supremacists, be afraid. The KKK, be afraid. All of this, be afraid. Vaccinations anymore, right? Be afraid of vaccinations. And I know that you watch some of those conspiracy things on Facebook and the news and stuff. You know, the, the, the thing that comes out of the airplanes now, those chemtrails, right? Be afraid. Be afraid. We have all sorts of reasons to be afraid. Health insurance premiums. Right? Be very afraid. How about this one? The bathroom at Target. Be afraid, right? Be afraid. The NFL, be afraid. Hollywood producers, be afraid. Clowns, cancer, guns, be afraid. Just be afraid. And then you get into the what ifs. You, you start dealing in your own mind, not just what people are, are telling you to be afraid of, but your own mind, the, the, the what ifs. What if I never get married? What if my spouse isn't faithful? What if my child doesn't make the team? What if I don't get the promotion? And you're dealing with all of these what ifs, and, and inside of you the enemy is conditioning a fear response. What if this is who the Huskers really are? That keeps some of you up at night, right? 
And if that wasn't bad enough, now we have to be afraid of what we eat. Be afraid of soy. Be afraid of dairy. We can't eat dairy anymore. Be afraid of sugar and the dreaded gluten. I don't even know what gluten is, but I know I'm afraid of it, right? And the enemy is just banging that metal. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And it isn't just a fun little haunted house. It's not just a scary story. This is real life, scary stuff. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And we are surrounded by things to be afraid of. This morning, I don't know what has you spooked, but I do know that there's an enemy that's advancing in He's banging that metal just as loud and as hard as he can because he wants you to live and operate in fear. And as long as you're spooked by the banging of the metal, as long as you are focusing on the fear, you're going to miss the presence of God. You're going to miss the power of God. You're going to miss the availability of God. You're going to miss the nearness of God. You're going to miss all that God has for you. And you may be here today, and you may be thinking, you know what, Chris, you were banging the metal and you were making us laugh and all that stuff. But I want you to know that I have legitimate reasons to be afraid. You don't know what's going on in my life. I have legitimate reasons this morning to be afraid. I believe that God wants you to know something this morning. I believe that God wants you to know you have legitimate reasons not to be afraid. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we have a little bit of a situation developing here for the nation of Israel. The nation of Syria and the nation of Israel, they were enemies, and the king of Syria had, had this plan to send his generals into Israel on little mini raids and weaken the nation of Israel. So they wanted to send a, a little mini army in here and, and do a raid and in here and do a raid, this whole time weakening the nation of Israel so that they could eventually um, come in and sweep through the entire nation, wear them down, and conquer the nation. So the king of Syria would gather his general and they would plan plan their raids, and every time they would draw up their battle plans, Elisha, who was a prophet that lived in Israel, would tell the king of Israel what they were going to do. And so this became very frustrating for the king of Syria, because every time they were planning one of their raids, coming in to get ready to attack, the, the nation of Israel would be ready. They would either set up their defenses, or they would either counterattack, or, or run away, do something, but not one of the Syrian raids would work, and the king of Syria was very, very frustrated because Israel knew everything they were going to do. And so the Syrian king, he demanded to know who the traitor was in their midst. Who was it that was giving Israel all this information? Well, they looked and they looked and they tried to find the traitor and they couldn't find one, and then somebody discovered what was happening and they, they told the Syrian king, listen, there's a man of God in Israel, his name is Elisha, and God speaks to him. And, and God tells him what we're going to do. We don't have a traitor. They have a man of God that listens to God. Man, that's so good, and I may preach that someday. But that's so important to have a man of God that listens to God. That's different, right? And God speaks to him. And then he goes and tells the king what we're going to do. It's not us. It's Elisha. And so the king of Syria says, well, let's find Elisha and kill him. All right? Makes sense. Let's, let's take out Elisha. And so when the king of Syria found out that Elisha was in the city of Dothan, 
2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14 says, He sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. They came by night. That's when the enemy loves to come, isn't it? That's when the enemy does his work. He loves to bang that metal at night. When you're laying there in your bed with just your thoughts, with the lights off, and, and everybody's in bed, but you're there, and your thoughts and your fears and your anxieties are swirling around your head, he is just banging that metal, saying, be afraid, be afraid. What if it doesn't work out? And all of those other things that he conditions you to be afraid of. He's banging that metal, conditioning you for fear. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. It happens most often at night, right? Isn't that strange where you can just have a, just a, a, a fine day, just an average day, nothing big, nothing small, just, just, a, just an average day. But the second your head hits the pillow, it's just all of these things to worry about. He comes at night. And let me be honest for a second. Sometimes it's more than just noise. Sometimes the enemy comes at you and he comes at you hard. And the truth is there are some of you here today that are facing a little bit of a crisis you're, you're facing some difficulty. You're facing some opposition and some pain this morning because you have taken a stand for the Lord. You've operated with honor and integrity and the enemy has you surrounded. There are some of you that are right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And because you are willing to do the will of God, the enemy has come against you. I want you to know something this morning, that there are times when the will of God will lead you into the crosshairs of the enemy. We see this through Scripture. There are times that when you follow the will of God, it will lead you to that prime position for the enemy to attack you. It just happens. It just, and, and there will be times in those moments where you will feel isolated, alone, and afraid. And I know you're, you're saying, well, you're not making a very good sell here for being a follower of God. Just keep listening because this gets so good. So they find out where Elisha is, and they send, Scripture says, a great army and have the city surrounded. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So this is what's happening. Elisha has a little bit of like an intern, like a servant. He's there helping him, taking care of things and helping with the ministry and running errands, getting him a latte, all of that stuff, right? And so in the morning... This servant goes out for Elisha, opens the door, picks up the Dothan Tribune so he can take it back to Elisha. And as he's looking up, he sees horses and chariots all over the place. He sees the Syrian army and he knows that Elisha, his boss, is enemy number one for the Syrian army. And he has to think, okay, maybe we can escape out the back. And as he turns, he realizes that the army is all the way around the city. There is no way for an escape. They are completely surrounded by a massive army with horses and chariots. It's not just people, it's horses and chariots. They, they didn't just send a, a little band. They didn't just send the infantry. They sent the whole army. This was like sending in the tanks and the airplanes, all of it. My first thought, if I was him, would be like, thanks a lot, God, because every time these people come in to attack Israel, you tell Elisha so that they can escape. But the one time that they come to attack Elisha, you don't say anything? Why are you so quiet? And I think that that's our response to God a lot of times when enemy press, the enemy presses against us. When we're facing opposition, when we're facing frustration, we say, thanks a lot, God. 
You could have told me about this. You could have warned me. You could have sent somebody in my life to tell me that I shouldn't do this or I should do that. You could have helped me prepare for this pain that is ready to press in on me. And so this guy, he's freaking out. And the servant runs back inside and he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? He's essentially saying, Elisha, wake up. They have us surrounded. We're going to die. There's, there's no way to run. There's nowhere to run. There's no way to escape. The servant saw the enemy was everywhere. And, and he's basically saying, we're dead. There's no hope in this. Be afraid. Be afraid. Some of you know the feeling. Some of you are feeling that right now in those moments where you find yourself rubbing your temples and thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? The situation I'm in, man, there's no hope. There's no real answer. The doctors aren't giving me much hope. The lawyers aren't giving me much hope. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. There's no way of escape. There's no one to relate to. I'm in this all alone. I'm completely surrounded. It's terrifying. I have no, I have have nothing to do but panic. And then Elisha makes what has to be one of the most absurd statements in all of Scripture. Because of this situation that they're in, in verse 6, He says to his servant, do not be afraid. Why? You know, what do you mean don't be afraid? I just told you that the Syrian army is out there and they want you dead. And because I'm like your servant, they're probably going to kill me too. What do you mean don't be afraid? And my guess is that this servant was a, a man who knew scripture. He knew the word of God. He was you know, interning with a, with a prophet who spoke the word of God. And so, so none of this would have been new stuff to him. And so there were no doubt promises that came to this young man's mind. Maybe the promise in Psalm chapter 3, verse 6, that says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. That's a good promise, amen, for a child of God to hold on to, to remember. That's a really good promise. But that promise is a whole lot easier to believe when the enemy is metaphorical. Yes? And when you're not facing an actual army that wants to destroy you. Maybe he was thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3 and 4 that says, Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who gives you to fight. Or or the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Amen. That's a good promise. Yes? But that promise is a whole lot easier to believe when you're doing your devotions in the coffee shop after you've snapchat a picture of your open Bible and your, perp- your perfectly frothed, untouched latte, after you send that over social media so that everybody knows how spiritual you are, and then you give it all the hashtags, hashtag victory, hashtag God fights my battles, hashtag fearless faith, right? It's a whole lot easier in situations where you're not in any real danger or have no reason to be afraid. And we say things like, the enemy can't hurt you as long as God has a work for you. And we pretend that when we quote Isaiah 54, verse 17, that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It means that nothing bad will ever happen to you, and I'll never experience any pain, and the enemy cannot hurt me. I think that it's time that we stop playing pretend and start being honest. The enemy can hurt you. It's his mission to steal kill and destroy you he just can't defeat you let me say it again the enemy can hurt you he just can't defeat you 
He can cause you pain, but he will not prosper. Because when Jesus gave his life sacrificially on the cross, when he died, when he shed his blood for us, it was Jesus sealing and guaranteeing our victory. That means that no matter what the enemy does, he will not win. No matter how much pain, no matter how much sickness, no matter how much frustration, no matter how much strife comes into my life, the enemy will not win because Jesus guaranteed the victory on the cross. That's really good news. But Elisha is in a very real situation where very real pain could come on him in just a moment. And he's giving this absurd advice, do not be afraid, even though now is the perfect time to start being afraid for them. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes, talking about his young servant there, that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And in this moment, we have this great scene. It's like this perfect cinematic scene. It's a moment of revelation, because as you look around the town, there is Syrian horses and chariots, and then as um, Elisha prayed that his servant's spiritual eyes would be open, he looked up beyond the enemy army, up to the mountains, and all surrounding the enemy army that surrounded Dothan in the mountains was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angelic warriors driving horses and chariots that were burning with fire. And he saw it, and he gets this revelation and this realization that God is greater than this army, and he's closer than you think. I want to tell you something this morning. Maybe you're facing a scary situation, and it's more than just a conditioned response. Like, there's some real pain that you're going through right now. And you feel vulnerable and helpless. And you feel surrounded. I want you to know something. God is closer than you think. He is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. So look up to the mountains. Look up to the sky. Look up to God and behold. Because there's one thing that I want you to know this morning. If up to this point you think that the message has been a total train wreck, you think my jokes aren't funny and my stories are lame? If you are here today and the only reason you are here is because you want your child to have a chance to win a drone, I'm so glad you're here for that. But I do want you to hear this one thing. God has your enemy surrounded. God has your enemy surrounded. You say, but you don't realize it. The enemy has horses and chariots. Well, God has horses and chariots too, but his are on fire, right? God has your enemy surrounded. We often pray, God, shelter me from the storm. Shelter me from my enemy. In our mind, we see God as some sort of cosmic bunker that he sort of just surrounds us like this and he takes all of the damage for us and keeps us safe and secure inside. But what we fail to realize is that God not only shelters you from the storm, but he exists outside of the storm. He shelters you in your pain, but he has your pain completely surrounded. God has the storm surrounded that has you surrounded. God has the enemy surrounded that has you surrounded. And this changes everything. 
everything. God has your enemies surrounded. And when you realize this, the banging of the metal all of a sudden isn't so scary. The banging of the shields and the swords isn't so scary. The report from the lawyer or the doctor isn't so scary. Because God has it surrounded. God has it covered. And he's closer than you think. Now watch what happens next. Verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, which was the nation that the Syrians were coming in to attack. Now, now you may have missed it. But I absolutely love this part of the story. This is what happens. The enemy starts closing in. They start entering in the city. Elisha prays a quick little prayer. Hey, God, uh, make these people blind for me. And God's like, done. And so, so they all go blind, and Elisha walks out to meet them. He's like, hey, guys, what's you doing? And he said, we're, we're looking for Elisha. He says, we're looking for Dothan and Elisha. And Elisha's like, oh, no, 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 no. You got the wrong place. Follow me. I'll take you to him. And there is a lot of commentaries that I was reading that was having a real hard time with Elisha lying in this moment. But I think it's awesome. Don't you? I do. I, I think it's awesome. I, I think it's just like super cool, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, I am not the prophet you're looking for. This is not the city. And he says, I'll take you to him. And, uh, and so he says, follow me, boys. And, and Elisha and his servant marched the entire Syrian army through Dothan into Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel. Now think about the emotions that the servant was going through at that time, right? Five minutes ago, he was freaking out, thinking this was going to be the last day on earth. Now he's leading a parade of blind enemies into the capital of Israel. When you realize how big God is and how near he is, you realize that there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Verse 20, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And they had to be thinking, uh-oh, how do we get here? As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He's double, double eager to kill them. But Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go home to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. My favorite line of this whole story comes next. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Yeah, I bet they didn't. Right? Hey, go attack those guys. Nope, not doing it. Right? We got this big chariot of fire. He's near. Like, man, this is, we're not doing this. The enemy had Elisha and his servants surrounded. And before the day was over, Elisha had saved their lives when he marched them into Syria or Samaria. Fed them, gave them a great feast, blessed them, and sent them on home. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So what do you do when you're all alone and the enemy has you surrounded? You look up. You look up. 
You see that God is near, that he's close. You get a glimpse of the mountains and see and realize that he is near and he is powerful and he is mighty and he has your enemies surrounded. And when you look up and when you begin to see with your spiritual eyes, see the power, the might, the authority of God, you realize two things. You realize, number one, that your enemy is really small and number two, there's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. One day Jesus was on a boat with his disciples, and while they were sailing across the sea, a great storm arose. The waves were crashing in, and the water was beginning to fill their boats, and Jesus, this whole time during the storm, was sleeping. Finally, the disciples, fearing for their life, thinking that this was going to be the end, thinking that they wouldn't survive this, that they were going to die, in frustration and panic, grab Jesus, shake him awake, and say, Jesus, do you not even care that we're all about to die. What are you doing? You're sleeping. We're all about to die. The scariest night of our lives. And you're just here sleeping. Do you not even care? So Jesus gets up. And, and I don't know how it played out. But I see it in my mind. Like Stretches a bit. Right? Rubs the sleep from his eyes. And stands up in the boat. That's rocking. The waves and the wind and the sea. And Mark chapter 4, verse 39, tells us, this is what he said. Peace, peace, be still. And scripture tells us that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So they're in this storm that is about to kill them all. Jesus stretches, wakes up, says, peace, be still. And everything goes instantly quiet. Why? Because Jesus exists outside of the storm. He's going through the storm with his disciples, but he also exists outside of the storm. So the minute he stands up and says, peace, the storm has to obey. And they're all standing there and it's just this perfect, serene calm. And like the, the sea is like, like glass. And the disciples are like, what? But that's who God is. He's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. In verse 40, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? And if I was one of the disciples, I wouldn't have said this, but I'd have been thinking, what do you mean? Why was I so afraid? Did you see the lightning? Did you see the wind? Did you see the waves coming in? Like, like you know, we had to, we had to make sure Tom, Thomas was halfway off the boat. We had to pull him back in. What do you mean, why am I so afraid? How about the fact that I do not have the ability to breathe underwater? That's something to be afraid of in this moment. Why are you so afraid? And then Jesus says, have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? When the enemy has you surrounded, remember, God is closer than you think. When you're facing that situation that has you crying at night, remember, God is closer than you think. When you're going through a storm that seems like it's going to be the death of you, remember, God is closer than you think. Faith in Jesus eliminates fear. It calms the storm. It blinds the enemy. It quiets the noise. Faith in Jesus is an understanding that even though the enemy battles, Christ has already won the war. You're already guaranteed victory. And so when I stand with Christ, I realize that there is literally nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Nothing. Because even though the enemy may be able to cause me some pain, Christ on the cross has guaranteed me victory. If I stand with him, I win. 
if the enemy hurts me and even kills me, I win. I get to spend eternity in heaven. So when loneliness creeps in, behold, Jesus has it surrounded. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.